do you have any stats that you think are important going to this game or that you think and uh, you know there are not a lot of Minuteman stats i'll go ahead and be honest there just aren't i um, do have a stat for you yeah hit, hit me with some stats let's talk about some stats today umass amherst library is the tallest academic research library in the world <laughs> it's 286 feet tall i kind of meant like <laughs> I <know>. football stats <laughs> um uh, okay okay i'm sorry let's let's move on <laughs> welcome to chapel bell curve stats focused podcast about uga football i'm justin and i'm nathan and i'm also scrappy and this guy's velma because that's what's been decided for us <laughs> per well, social media I, no, well i i originally said we were scrappy and shaggy but then my wife pointed out that i'm probably velma which part of you is velma the short skirts or the big glasses um i was gonna say just the beautiful big beautiful brain but yeah i'll show a little egg <laughs> okay that's fine i don't think i'm st- i i i i like what how you describe me as scrappy but i don't think i'm quite scrappy we'll see who are I you mean, then who are you then i don't think i'm any i don't think i'd hang out with any of them are you fred no, I don't think I'm Fred. Maybe I'm Fred. What part of me is Fred? I'm not Fred. You're you're better dressed. I'm definitely better dressed. But if I think of the time, I think I'd probably dress like Fred. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know, actually. I, who can say? Anna. Never mind. She's not up here anymore. Anyway, this is so, the UMass episode. Yeah, it is. <laughs> if you We're couldn't already tell, this is the UMass about episode. Football. Yeah. This episode is also sponsored by our good friends at GoMed. You know, those guys over there at GoMed.net, the ones that are bringing back the house call. It's yeah. urgent care to go. So yeah. we'll talk about them more at the halftime, though. Uh, yeah. Probably more than usual and relate them to something ridiculous. I don't even know yet. Yeah, we will. This is a UMass game. That's what yeah. we're talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, not a lot of stats. Not a lot of stats to be had about UMass. Not really. Nope. Not really at all. You know, I, I have a dream that one day... UGA will play nothing but Power 5 conference teams. That would be nice. Wouldn't that be so cool? And then every episode that we create would be contentious on some level. And we'd be able to talk about it. And it'd be great. And everyone would enjoy themselves. But instead, here we are talking about the University of Massachusetts Minutemen. Yeah. Um, So have you got... We're going to start out with some... You know, as usual, our narratives coming to this game, and sometimes we do a little bit of history. What What do you have prepared for us? You got anything? Yeah. So uh, the subjective narratives. Usually, I take a, a deep dive into the cesspool that is Twitter, but really, nobody has anything bad to say about you. <laughs> it's It's SoCon Saturday, baby. Like I, I stuck my head out the window and I yelled, and I, I listened back, and nothing came back to me. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing came back. Nothing was tweeted back into my ears about this game, and so here we are. But the one thing I am hearing, and I'm just tired, of, I'm really just tired of this, is it's another blackout. Look out. We're blacking out again. Everybody's talking about why Kirby doesn't like blackouts. And these students, are their last chance to do a blackout. And they got to put on the black jerseys because it's nighttime and this and that. And I'm just, I'm really tired of hearing about blackouts. Is that unfair of me to say? <laughs> How do you feel about blackouts, Nathan? I'm indifferent um, because I... I mean, I think if we're going to do them, we should do them when it counts and have some balls about it, but we're not going to, so I just don't care. We've had three three mar- marketed blackouts this year. The one that wasn't as uh, you know straightforward and, and uh, emphasized was the actual Auburn game because that just carries some sort of superstition around it, as we already talked about. But the other one, uh, it was a game I went to. I can't remember who it was, but 
I think maybe the Vanderbilt game. There, that was supposed to be a blackout. And then Auburn was like talked about, let's do a blackout. Now UMass is now a blackout again. So it's like just one of the other guys. Let's just pick it. It's not a big deal. Wear whatever you want. I don't care. That's being talked about a lot, though. Other thing being talked about was UJ's new recruits. We have some new recruits this week, right? Yeah. Uh, well, just some one folks so announced it. Yeah, year. just one. But uh, what's his face from South Florida? Kenny McIntosh is the sixth ranked overall running back in the 2019 class. He's about six foot tall. He's right around 200 pounds. He probably put about 215, 220 on in college. He is, I would say, current player comp, he is Elijah Holyfield with better hands. It's kind of an inside big back. He'll hit you. He'll move around um, pretty well. Um, but also he's got, he's a very gifted receiver. He runs pretty upright. I mean, I watched some of his tape. Um, he's a real upright runner, but he's big enough that he can kind of pull that style off. Sort of like, um, oh God, not uh, like a Samaje, not Samaje Piran, but DeMarco Murray type. I mean, he plays in South Florida. He has kind of a subpar 40 time. He's like a 4.8640. But I mean, there's an argument to be made that sometimes 40 times can be receiving or uh, deceiving. Uh, Cam Petway, Petway, by the way, is a very good example of a running back who had a bad 40 time. You know, he he's just a super, super athletic, good running back. Like, shocking. Georgia recruited a good athletic running back. Um, he's actually... Uh, in some databases, he, I mean, he's going to be a running back in college, but he's also played like cornerback and wide receiver. I mean, he's just like kind of a do everything guy. Um, he goes to a pretty good school that wins a lot. So yeah. And the question now is just, if we're going to take another, I think we have a couple more we could take. Um, there's kind of a lower rated guy who's currently committed to app state, who is a, I think is sort of one of these diamonds of the rough. That's just sort of emerging his senior year. And then also we could possibly take Noah Kane, who is a guy at IMG, who is more of your, a little bit smaller, a little bit more like if we're using like the Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb analogy, he's definitely the Sony Michelle. Yeah. So just one so far, but I've heard that there might be more. Kyrie Elam could go. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson is another running back who has is said he's going to wait till January. Nicobe Dean is an inside linebacker. He's going to wait till January, but something else could pop. We'll see. You also asked about a little bit of history. And so I looked up more or less the the bare minimum by UMass. They do have some interesting bits, but they've been around playing football for longer than we have, longer than most teams in the nation, actually, since football, of course, started up in the Northeast and um, with one of the first, you know, games being played between some Ivy League schools. But they started playing in 1879, which it is... <laughs> this is what I... I, I kind of cracked up about this because I read a sentence that said, they started in 1879. It is highly regarded as their first undefeated season. They played one game that year against Amherst College right down the road. They won four to zero. <laughs> and it's it's highly talented. Wow, two like, safeties. Wow. Yeah. Uh they've had sixteen conference championships. You know, they're they're pretty big deal. That's the sixteenth most in the nation. That comes mostly from FCS since they have only been an FBS school since twenty eleven. Um and now they were originally in the Mac, but there was a lot of drama that actually ended up happening. A little bit of drama. They won the the FCS National Championship in 1998, and then they began the two-year transition eventually in 2011 to the FBS. They joined the MAC Conference, which is redundant of a thing for me to say. The MAC wanted them to join uh, all school sports into the conference, of course, as the conference would want to do, so that they're not still playing in the, I think they were in like the Atlantic 10 or something along those lines. 
the football program was in the MAC, and so they didn't want to combine everything. They wanted to keep doing what they were doing, but uh, the MAC said, you know, whatever, we'll move on, and UMass said, that's fine, and so they went independent. So they're, they're one of the few independent schools in the FBS now, up there with Notre Dame. Hopping on the Winsipedia, it is not a whole lot going on between these two teams, as you can imagine. There have never been... There's never been a matchup between Georgia and UMass, uh, at least in the football program. And looking down on just the comparative stats down below, the only thing that UMass edges out over UGA is their conference championships that I mentioned before. UGA has 14 total in the program history. UMass has 22. UMass's all-time record is 574, 594, and 50. So good I for think what, I think like what you're saying is that like paranoia confirmed the dogs ain't respecting us enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The dogs ain't respecting us enough? Oh, sorry. The dogs ain't... <laughs> yeah, they ain't respecting UMass enough. Oh, yeah, for sure. We ain't played nobody. We ain't played nobody yet. So this yeah. is where it all comes together. So the the last time Georgia did play UMass was in basketball last year. They beat us 72-62. to 62, And that was in December of last year. So, I mean, that's UMass. They're the Minutemen. I used to play them in Frisbee. Are they good? They're very good. They were at the time. I don't know if they're any good anymore. They used to be very good. They kicked our asses. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, th- that's the thing about Ultimate Frisbee up in the Northeast. It's, of course, where it came from again. They have just always been... Every, everybody up there, they, they, like, play it in middle school and college. There's just a much bigger of a following. It's kind of a big deal because there are a lot of really, really good schools in the Southeast now, like Florida and UCF, USF, and Georgia are all really awesome uh, Ultimate Frisbee programs, but to go to the national championships you have to go up the you have to go through sectionals and regionals to get to nationals and but there's only like uh, two bids that go up through those ranks to get to national championships and there's easily like eight teams that should be going but the southeast only gets two bids every year whereas like the northeast gets like eight so it's pretty ridiculous but huh that's my 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 quick glimpse there for all of you into uh i have some other i have another uh note that you might find interesting historically. Yeah. Um, the the UMass uh, mascot used to be the Redmen. And in 1972, a group of Native Americans complained about the fact that that's super racist. And they changed the name to the Minutemen. That's and actually fair. also, technically, they are the Minutemen and Minute Women, which I think is cool. Because it would be really weird to have like a, the female basketball team be the Minutemen. It would be. Yeah. Also, the name of their mascot is... Uh, uh, Minuteman Sam, and he has a big old wide jaw. He looks kind of like Woody from Toy Story. <laughs> he does a little bit. Hey, you want to know some some fun people who went to uh, UMass? Yeah, hit me. Jack Welch from GE. Yeah, I think that's the character that uh, yeah, Alec Baldwin's yeah, yeah, character is yeah, based off of. J- Donahue. Yeah. Hey, Jeff Corwin went there. Animal Planet is Jeff Corwin. Pretty okay. cool. Richard Gear. Okay. Uh, anybody? Astronaut Catherine Coleman. That's okay. That one's cool. That one's pretty cool. Julius Irving, NBA Hall of Famer. Dr. J. Dr. J. You know, we got some some cool folks that uh, hung out there up there in Amherst. Pretty cool. They also have a college football Hall of Famer. Who? In, uh, well, they have two, actually. They have Coach Dick McPherson from 71 to 77. Tight end Milt Morin. He played from 63 to 65. They have actually appeared in three FCS championship games. They won the title in 98. Like I said, they beat Georgia Southern, actually, 55 to 43. Okay, there you go. I think I think that's about all we got on that's the old. <laughs> I'm tapped out on Minuteman facts. Yeah, you've given I've given you enough, right? 
Uh, hit st- uh, please reply stop to stop Minuteman facts. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> thank well, you for please. signing up for Minuteman facts. Please, please, dear God, please type stop. Well, I, I've got nothing left. I'm just going to start telling you about my cat. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's not really a lot to say about this team, but I do think we. I have some inward facing stats that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, I think that there are just a couple of. Uh, just for the advancement of this team and for, you know, I think one of the narratives, speaking of narratives, of the past few weeks is that since the LSU loss, Georgia has really started to find itself and you've got all these young players who are getting better and better and blah, blah, blah. That's, I think, real. I think that's actually happening. You know, I think there are a couple of stats that are going to be important for us. I think this is a game where our havoc rate should be influenced up. I also think that this is a game where our success rate allowed should be influenced down. Um, Just, Stuff like that have been weaknesses for us need to be a little bit less of a weakness, even though obviously it's going to be adjusted for opponents. You're not going to see a lot here, but I also just think that like, you know, increasing the D-line havoc rate, seeing some actual D-line sacks without a, you know, without a blitz, um, seeing some more turnovers, seeing good inside linebacker play. I think all of these will contribute to just better overall stats. I think currently right now, um, UGA is defensively we are 68th in we are 68th overall in success rate at 41.5%. If I could just see that go down to like I don't know 40, I would be happy. 41 flat, I would be happy with that. Um, you know, the havoc rate havoc rate uh, wise, UGA is 88th overall, but we got 120 D line havoc rate at 2.6%. I think this is a team against which that should go way up. You know, at least a percent or two. I think we should see a little bit more havoc from the defensive backs. You know, I, I just think that seeing everything sort of adjust up, if not in a ranked way, you know, we might not gain ranks this week, but in a raw numbers way, seeing our success rate allowed go down, seeing yeah. our havoc rate go up, that kind of stuff. I think I think those are kind of the things. Uh, we're kind of combining our advanced stats category and the stats we think are important and the things we want to see um, here. But is there anything you're going to be looking for stats wise here? Uh, the havoc rate was definitely something I was looking at. I, I've been watching our our linebacker and defensive back havoc rate just slowly tick up over time. I do not think this is a game like you said that those two will rank up. But the but even if in the raw sense they are. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, I, I do think, however, the defensive line havoc rate will probably rank up, and that's just because I I don't think this is a team that we're going to blitz a lot on or move those guys up other than batting down passes, and that that could definitely happen in this kind of game just because of their where they are good at is simply the passing game and good is is really a a very relative term here in this sense um it doesn't mean a lot other than they have one weapon and he's very good i I think that the defensive line might get pushed up just putting pressure on the pocket but i don't think we're going to be moving a lot into um the pocket other than just the defensive line so well yeah i mean i if we have to blitz this team like we got big issues right yeah yeah, so so i think yeah you're right defensive line havoc is going to be interesting to see just if we can just bump those averages up a little bit, and also just to see some good young players um, playing would just be nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is gonna be a short one today, folks. Hey, you know, before we we move too far ahead, though, what what is fun to look at is that this team does have a few stats that aren't aren't that bad. You know, but generally speaking, they're really bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us some bright spots if we're if we're trying to put on our our Minuteman hat, 
our Minuteman tinted red, white, and blue glasses. Yeah, my I'm going to name my first child McPherson after old whatever his face was from the Hall of Fame. This team is good in standard downs. They're they're specifically good against the run in standard downs. Almost as good in passing downs against the run as well. And so that's a little little bright light. And so that's good against teams like this. But then again, they haven't faced a team like this. <laughs> the best team they've played all year is Ohio. And uh, they put 42 points up on Ohio, but Ohio put 58 points up on them. <laughs> so it's just like, man, every time they did anything good, it just got just got bad. They had yeah. the exact same game the following week against South Florida, uh, 42-58, which is actually kind of interesting. This is kind of neat. They played Ohio, who is, uh, they are now S&P plus ranked 57, and South Florida is 58. And both teams, the same score, <laughs> 42 yeah. to 58. And so it's just interesting to look through. You know, on offense, they are good enough that if you have a bad defense, which USF and Ohio both do, they're the 19th team in explosiveness in ISOPPP. So they're right above us, actually. So, you know, they can throw deep. They're, they have obviously have a somewhat successful offense. They're going to throw the ball around quite a bit. Um, there's going to be a huge talent gap. You know, other than that, I, I there's not really, other than just like some, some advantage, some, I wouldn't even say advantages other than some things that they do well in terms of explosiveness on offense. There really isn't a lot to recommend this team. Mm-mm. They can't, they're not a very good defensive team. No, they are overall ranked S and P plus ranked one ten. And I mean, 123 <laughs> efficiency versus the eighth efficiency offense, 126 marginal efficiency versus the sixth marginal efficiency offense. Right. So, I mean, 119th in explosiveness on, in both measures versus the 20th most explosive offense. So, uh, this might be a game where Jake Camarda doesn't get a punt until we are punting on them just because we feel bad. Yeah, you know that could I mean? definitely happen. This is going to be a game that's definitely a bit darker than any of the other uh, the dark games that we've played this year. Yeah, <laughs> the Middle Tennessee's and whatnot. So it's not. I mean, eh. I will say one more bright spot is uh, the wide receiver I was speaking of. The one weapon they have is Andy Isabella, who is a senior. He has 130 targets in the year, 87 catches. He has 1,479 yards, good for 11 touchdowns this year. He's got 66.9% of his passes. He's got 17 yards per catch, 11.4 yards per target. His marginal efficiency is 12.7%, which is not bad. And uh, the next best receiver is Sadiq Palmer with two touchdowns and 415 yards. So. They so have they a thing they do. Yeah, we know who we know who DeAndre Baker is going to play on. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think much is going to happen there. They do have a couple decent running backs, and then their QB is very much a runner uh, most of the time. They have wow. They have jeez. Oh, just looking through, they have three quarterbacks who have all done stuff this year. Their first quarterback one fifteen for one seventy seven. Their second ninety nine for one sixty three. So they they're they're all doing stuff. Uh, they have a volume, third one too with more stuff going on. Volume passers, volume, yeah, volume passers. passers for sure. Just shooting from the hip. So mm-hmm. it's like you said, not not much to talk about, but they have a few few bright spots. Uh, nobody that's gonna really do much because the the one thing they are good at offensively is explosiveness, and mm-hmm. we are the second best ranked against explosiveness. So it's like ah. Uh, they're ranked 19th on this closeness. We're still ranked second. So it's like, I'm not that what you're going to do. Honestly. <laughs> and that, that all comes from uh, probably that wide receiver because yeah. the running back core is not I mean, necessarily marginally the explosive. Is, like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the strategy of if you are, at, if you're at a talent disadvantage and you have one elite athlete, you just throw it up and see what happens. You do the thing that uh, works. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily going to work against us, but 
it's not like the worst idea. No, not at all. So we could move into things we want to see, like you said. We can do yeah. that. Let's do it. Go for it. What you got? Hit me um, with some things worth highlighting and what you want to see. Uh, well, EJ started five true freshmen and one redshirt freshman against Auburn. Will that number go up? That's my question. Um, I think that's something worth looking at. Uh, there have been basically three big freshmen from the fr- the actual freshman class, not the redshirt freshman class, who have not gotten a lot of playing time this year. Um, uh-huh. Devod Wilson has not played at all, but could play. Uh, Chris Smith has played in two games, I think. And then John Fitzpatrick has played in two games. They're all three redshirt candidates, but with the redshirt rule and there only being two games left, I would have a hard time imagining they don't get plays. I'd like to see an entire f- half of justin fields that'd be cool yeah it would that'd be super cool if 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 jake Fromm takes a step and or takes a snap in the second half i'll be frustrated do you what do you what do you think is worth highlighting before we get I, into I our don't think that's going to things happen. we want to see no no i'm sorry <laughs> i kind of combined things we want to see with stats with highlighting but i know you have stats worth highlighting so hit me i i, I really already talked about it was the thing is the only thing i just wanted to kind of see our our have a great go up i do want to kind of see who we start and who we play with um I would like to see just the, the possibility of Hot Rod successfully completing a trick play. That'd be neat. I mean, he, this is the game to do it, right? Give it another go. That might actually be less likely because they want to like keep that one in the pocket. Yeah, this, yeah, you're right. Do you because think we're like, playing like weird plays, like plays that we no, know will fail in that scenario right now? I don't, I don't, think, so. right I don't now? think so, mainly because like other than against Gus Malzahn, like Kirby doesn't like to dunk on people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like... <laughs> He he loves to dunk on Gus Malzahn. Don't yeah. get me wrong, oh, yeah. but not not a, not anybody else. I would like to see. Let's see. I would like to see Brian Harrion watch. Brian Harrion's a good running back. He doesn't get a lot of playing time. I think he should today. I'd also like to see a lot of snaps out of forty-one uh, Channing Tindall and out of Quay Walker. Um, just developing ILB linebacker depth or inside linebacker depth will be a very big deal going forward, especially against Georgia Tech. So I'd like to see both of them play. If not start, then a significant amount of time. Uh, what, what's the deal with... Uh, I know that Otis Reese has been playing, taking over for Richard LeCount. So can you talk a little bit more about that, why that's significant? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Otis Reese is... So Richard LeCount, who I do, do love, and plays with reckless abandon, but he's not the surest tackler. And he has done a, co- he's done a couple of things recently where he's just gotten to the play and not been able to make it physically or he's had bad practice you know he's had he's not a good practice player apparently and also it's just not been he's just had some arm tackles and that could be important going down the road especially because Otis Reese is a sort of your hybrid inside linebacker safety playing safety but he's fast enough to play safety but he's just a big dude who likes to hit and you know against both Georgia Tech and even more so Alabama you need a guy who can in your secondary who can take on a 220 pound running back or a 200 pound tight end or a 215 pound wide receiver or whatever um and he is like absolutely that guy he he is a pure thumper i haven't really seen him play much in coverage because he's playing more of the like strong safety like come up in the box and help on run plays and get out to the edge of the flats but he's a good runner um he's definitely got i think the physical skills to cover i just don't know what kind of like what his coverage skills are right now but i mean i think it's significant if only because it, it sort of indicates like i think that Kirby knows that you have to get your highest upside on the field. I think that's why we're seeing less of Jawan Taylor mm-hmm. th- these last few weeks, um, less of Nate Patrick. Because if we're going to beat Alabama, we have to have our highest variance players. Let's get into halftime. Yeah. Yeah. Halftime is where we talk about the sponsors of this show. And the sponsors of this show, if you hadn't already guessed, 
is GoMed. Let's talk about our good friends at GoMed. Our good friends Barrett and uh, the other shadow investors that we don't know the names of. Not actually shadow investors, just people <laughs> all, all, I don't know the names of. All of the good GoMed people. <laughs> the, that shadowy organization named GoMed. Yeah. Just kidding. They're there to fix you and inject all sorts of good juice into you to make your juice feel better. Good, That's how good. medicine works. Very scientific. I went Very to a liberal good. arts college. Uh, but yeah, GoMed's really great. They're bringing the house call back is their whole thing. They're bringing urgent care straight to your doorstep, knocking on the door, asking if they can come in very politely and coming inside to fix all the maladies that is ailing you. Uh, GoMed's an organization that's comprised of a whole bunch of UGA alums, essentially, a whole bunch of nerdy folks just like you and me. And they believe that quality healthcare should not be relegated to just brick and mortar. Uh, for most of us, going to the doctor is no fun at all, just like the dentist and the foot doctor and whatever other doctors it is that you and I go to. The uh, podiatrist? It's the foot doctor. That one's the one for children, the one that you talked about. Yeah. Um, podiat- no, <laughs> you said foot doctor. I said podiatrist. The one for children is pe- pediatrician. Jesus, God, dude. <laughs> you're killing me right now. Hey, GoMed wants to serve folks in the place they're most comfortable, which is their homes or their backyards, or their tents, or anywhere that you call GoMed out to is where they want to serve you. I think they've mentioned before that they want to come out to, like, football games. You know, high school, middle school, little league, whatever. Uh, college, who knows? Whatever you need, whatever's ailing you, wherever it's ailing you, GoMed wants to be there. Uh, that's kind of their whole thing. But uh, they, they definitely want to let you know that in December, they're opening more locations up in Charleston. They are currently uh, located mostly throughout Atlanta, but up in Charleston, they're going to be in Daniel Island and Mount Pleasant uh, primarily. But hey, just like we said, this old boy's got wheels. They'll come to you. Yeah. And also, I want to say we got a question from Chris Dixon. He has a big long question for FCBC, but also he has a different question about uh, having a relative who works in Athens. And I do not actually think GoMed uh, services Athens. I don't know if they have plans or not either. So Barrett, hit us up. Let us know. We're getting questions about you, buddy. Uh-oh. Go ask them. Go ask them at gomed.net. That's their website. You can go check them out at gomed.net. Get in touch with them and kind of see what they got going on. Check out their website. That's all I got for Gomed. Right. Let's go on. <laughs> Moving on. Over-unders. Yeah. Does Justin Fields' first snap come before or after 10 minutes in the second quarter? I think it comes after. So over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say before. So under. 10 minutes left? Before or after 10 minutes left. You think before? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I think he might... Okay. I think I think we might get up pretty big in the first quarter. So I'm gonna say after. And you sit under. Mine was over under does Tyson Campbell start today? No. I think he's out. Under, yeah. I think Eric Stokes took his spot, at least for now. Uh Kirby had some comment today about how when you put someone on the second team, which is where uh Campbell has been running, that you find out how good they actually are because uh on the first team they're being helped along in communication and play calling by the safeties, by first team safeties, and on second team they don't have that. So I th- I don't think he's had a great week of practice either. Whoa, that was a weird voice. I had to burp. <laughs> What's your next over-under? 50 UGA points. Over. Uh, this Hit me with all the points. Give me all the points, Georgia. You know, we haven't scored 50 yet, so I'm going to say under. I think it might be close. I think it might be like a 48-point game. Yeah, it's not really something we do. But this yeah, but is a I, team I definitely think we could score 50 on. Oh, yeah, we could score 70 on these guys, but yeah. I just don't know if we will. Yeah, the next closest we had was 49-7 uh, Middle Tennessee. And this is this team is way worse than Middle Tennessee. Yeah. And so the only reason that I would think that you would get that there is that if we get into the third and fourth quarter and we're just running the, like, run Brian Herrien up the middle offense or, mm-hmm. like, Brian Herrien and our third team offensive line might still be good enough against this team to score, like, long touchdowns. Yeah, I think so. So you could be looking at some real true garbage time. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, over, under, speaking of, <laughs> um, my guess on garbage time. Over, under, 35 minutes of garbage time. Um, ooh, 35. So up 24 points, holding the lead. But that With 10 five minutes, minutes left. left in the first half. I'm going to say over. So before five minutes. Yeah. Now I'm going to say, ah, shit. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm going to say uh, under, I guess. Like, I, I, I think, I think we will get up by 24 points before five minutes left in the second half. There it is. You think we will get up above before five minutes? Yeah. I think it'll be more than 35 minutes. Okay. Got it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm going to go with over as well. I'd like to think that'll happen. I'm thinking, yeah, like a, a good mini. Like maybe even close to like 42 or 40. That feels right. What's your last over-under? I'm going to go over-under 20 Channing Tindall snaps. Yeah, I think he plays plenty. I think it, he's going to get rotated a bunch, but I think the 20 snaps is doable. I still think it comes under. I'm just going to say under. You're going to say under? I'm yeah. going to say over. Because I, I think, think he's that gonna get a lot. he's somebody they're going to want to save a, a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Over under Hot Rod, seven points. Over. Now think about it, though. Yeah, I just think we could get eight touchdowns. You think? <laughs> That's so many. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say push. <laughs> I'm going to give you the over on that one because you foresee eight touchdowns. I think that'd be wild. Yeah, I definitely think it's true. I think that it's either that or, or later in the game, he's going to get more than seven points because we already get seven touchdowns and then he has to kick a field goal because... Because Kirby feels bad. Yeah. Or either that or we just have our like our twos and threes in. And so yeah. we just, they get a stop eventually. Can I just tell you my second favorite college football team right now is UAB. And let me, let me tell you why. Because today on the Paul, on the Paul effing Feinbaum show. God, I hate Paul Feinbaum. Me too, but this is important. On the Paul Feinbaum show, Bill Clark, the head coach of UAB, called Alabama, Alabama Tuscaloosa. <laughs> oh my god that is so oh my god i love them so much go blazers that's fun they're nine and one yeah man wow they're playing really well they're 31st yeah. ranked s p plus yeah. yeah they got a, they've got a very good defense hey who would win uab or fresno state uh maybe uab but no nah, here's a better question here's a better question this kind of came up on every day should be saturday this week who would win uab or auburn <laughs> I think UAB would win. <laughs> UAB has UAB has like no joke, like a top ten defense. Yeah, if they, they could score, yeah. if they could score it all on Auburn, they would have a chance. Yeah, they eighty first ranked S and P plus offense, eighteenth defense. They're thirty first overall. I think Auburn is in the the low twenties, high teens now. Twenty, they're at twenty. Defense is ranked twentieth, so that'd be a good game to watch. I wonder if there's any chance that they play in a bowl game. <laughs> Man, that'd be cool. No, they absolutely are going to play in a bowl game. No, together, like Auburn, UAB. God, that would never happen. No. Oh, my God, that would be so good. What, if they played in like the Birmingham Bowl and it was like a home game for UAB. Oh, my God. I'd really like that. Oh, what dreams may come. So, <laughs> predictions for this game. Vegas has this game at a 43 and a half point line. That's a lot, man. Uh, then uh, S&P Plus, though, has it at a 41 and a half point. Well, it's funny. I'm splitting those. 42.1. That's a 42-point win. That's my prediction. I'm splitting those right down the center. I didn't even mean to do that. I didn't see this. Um, I'm going to say 48-6 UGA. I think I think we score a comfortable seven touchdowns, and then we just kick two field goals just because, <clears throat> you know, we just run it up the middle enough that it, they get some stops. That'd be 54. Seven, seven touchdowns. Or, sorry, six touchdowns. There it is. We got two, it. Two field goals. There it is. I didn't come here to do math. Yeah. <laughs> 
He says on his stats football podcast. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm gonna guess 52 to seven. I think that feels all right because uh, you know the next best game, the next yeah, the most similar team we played was Middleton Seed. We beat them 49 to seven, and then the next most similar team is Austin P 45-0. That's really the extent of my thinking there. Uh, but this is very, very much so the worst team we played this all is, year. This, this is, is one a rest of those week. like, yeah, this is one of those name your score. Yeah. Games. I think they're just going to kind of get the freshman out there and get the freshman running around and the freshman having to score a little bit, then, you know. Yeah, I think it's a bunch of the freshmen, a bunch of twos and threes, and then let the seniors play their last home game kind of thing. So, wait. No, it won't no, be. no, no, no I'm sorry. Georgia Tech's a home game. game as well. I lied to yeah. you. So, yeah, that's that. Let's get into our favorite segment, Ask CBC. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Ryan Lewis at Ryan Lee5433 asks CBC, can you guys give me a shout out in the event that Drew Butler makes it onto the show? I love both podcasts and I'd really appreciate it. And I want to rub it in my buddy Levi's face. LOL. Well, we're working on it. Yeah. Look here, Levi. I can't wait to rub this in your face. Yeah, Levi. We're going to make this happen. We just have to wait long enough because this is like when the pretty girl actually read your text message, but it hasn't replied to it and you have to wait and you can't just say like, I know you see this. So, but we're getting there. Don't worry. We're working on it. We're trying, we're trying real hard. Yeah. Maybe yeah, we'll, worry. you know, maybe we'll take a different approach and just start talking to Aaron Murray or his brother. Yeah. Isn't his brother. Hey, do we have any connections at the bachelor? Yeah. Anybody got any bachelor connections? Aaron Murray connections. <laughs> I, ch- I, I checked Aaron Murray in college. Hey, he, pro- he probably doesn't remember me, but I, Saw him totally wrapped in ice the day after the Nick Fairley game. Oh, there was a time where I, when I was working at Mama's Boy that I was uh, working the front door and a family came in and they, they you know, asked for a table and everything. And they said, six for us. And can we sit outside? And I was like, yeah, totally. And they said, hey, and when Aaron gets here, just let him know that, that where we are. And I, was, I looked at those people like, I don't know you. I don't know your person, Aaron. And then like 15 minutes later, Aaron Murray walked in. I was like, your family's outside. <laughs> so that's that was my experience there in murray uh the next one is from jay banks jay banks wants to know uh why does justin hate pandas i won't let it go until i have answers <laughs> i used to re- my wife's in here now and she wants to hear this go uh in the past few years my opinions of pandas have not changed however i've developed stronger understanding of their situation and i i you know i, I now understand that a lot of the what's going on with them is uh due to our folly and just humans playing god essentially but but this is why i essentially hate pandas and and i'll I'll just kind of lay it out real easy so there's the the very simple and easy thing that everybody always talks about pandas have absolutely no interest in reproducing they don't mate getting down to the the real nitty-gritty of why any species exists it's because it wants to make more of the species yeah and the very simple like taking the pleasure out of it and making that just a very robotic function it's like they don't even want to do that and so (laughs) if you don't want to you don't deserve to live (laughs) that's not what i mean so (laughs) okay so so that's getting down to that very basic instinct is like they, they can't even like comply with that very basic instinct of wanting to mate second of all they have a uh a digestive system that is more carnivorous than not uh and so all they eat is bamboo and occasionally a small animal. But it really, it's like whenever they really get the chance to just grab one or when they're in the zoo and they just kind of are thrown one essentially, but they're not supposed to eat bamboo. Their bodies can't digest cellulose, which is pretty much all that bamboo is made of. But you know, they just, they just keep eating it. They just keep eating all that damn bamboo. They eat 20 to 40 pounds of freaking bamboo a day. And it has literally like zero nutrition at all and that's why they have to eat 20 to 40 pounds of it to get any energy at all 
And that ends up leading to, they end up pooping like 40 times a day. And the whole reason anybody poops is to get rid of waste, all the stuff that your body couldn't use. And if you have to poop 40 times a day, what are you even eating? It's bamboo. That's all they're really eating. But really, it's, it's, it's the whole point is like, we've, we've ruined pandas. We know this. At this point, pandas that exist today are not pandas that existed in the wild. You know, they're, they're so incredibly endangered that we put them in this, these, these zoos just so they can live in some sort of semblance, you know, just for our, it seems like our innate pleasure just to just know that they exist because they're so freaking adorable. And we all want to own stuffed bears and it's just a stupid, stupid reason. They, they shouldn't exist anymore. And it's our fault they do still. Chris Dixon. This is a long one, but it's a very good question. Did the statistics support or reject the idea that Hot Rod attempting to throw for a t- touchdown was Georgia's best on-field piece of trolling in recent years? How does it compare to the Georgia rushing the field against Florida in 2007? No, seriously. Here's how I would attempt to quantify on-field trolling. I would define the trollishness of a play call as the product of its cost and its hilarity. Ideally, you would measure the cost of a play call as the loss of expected value in the old overall game. Say Georgia had a 99% chance to beat Auburn if Hot Rod kicked the field goal, and a 98 chance to beat Auburn given that Hot Rod made the throw. Um, <clears throat> the cost of that play call would be a 1% of a win. Uh, blah, 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 blah. A simpler way to say this would be say that Hot Rod has a 98% chance of converting that field goal. Uh, so the expected value of the field goal was 2.94 points to two decimal places uh, and that he had, I don't know, a 10% chance of making the touchdown pass. So the expected value of the play was 0.7 points. There's a difference between giving up 2.24 accepted points when you're leading by 17 and when you're leading by seven though, how would you measure the hilarity of the play call is, uh, is harder, but I would propose the quantity of positive attention that the call gets in national media minus the quantity of negative attention. This distinguishes between an expensive play because I was trolling, which attracts national positive attention, and an expensive play call, which was just botched, which attracts national negative attention. So I don't know if many of these things can be measured, but I do think it ought to be possible to determine whether one of these factors is an order of magnitude larger in one case than the other, and hence answer the original question. Okay. Whew. I have some opinions on this one. I actually think that the the Blankenship pass is actually more than the 2007 storming the field because the Blankenship pass was lower. It was less expensive, but it was higher. Uh, there was more negative attention uh, on. I'm sorry. It was less expensive than the 2007 pass, but there was more positive attention. The 2007 celebration, but there was more positive attention. 2007 celebration was very expensive in terms of like we were playing a Florida team that was supposed to be better than us. But on the end, it cost us a 15-yard penalty, and it was not at the end of the game that when the you know the game was still in doubt at that point. But uh, the 2007 uh, celebration also got, I would say, 40 to 50 percent negative attention. Right. So I would say that Rodrigo's Rodrigo's is by far the most. Um, as for trollishness, I actually think there's one or the the more of those two, but I actually think there's one that is more even more trolly and it's actually not a play it's a drive this play this these these this is just the trolliest i think this is the lowest key troll thing this is not an expensive thing and it didn't actually receive a lot of attention but this is like to me the ultimate dunk on someone okay um and it's probably my favorite it's probably my favorite drive in the time that i have been watching uga play football okay so 2015 uga plays um south carolina um, the final score is 52 to 20. This is the last game that Spurrier would coach in. UGA's second to last drive, which was basically their last drive that wasn't just run it up the middle. They got the ball with 13 minutes and 49 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Okay, so 
First and 10, Grayson Land Pat Lambert pass complete to Malcolm Mitchell for 25 yards to the Georgia 42 for a first down. Coming out of the gate, throwing a 25-yard pass. <laughs> first and 10 at the UGA 42, Grayson Lambert pass complete to Terry Godwin for 11 yards. First and 10, UGA are at the South Carolina 47. Nick Chubb run for eight yards to the South Carolina 39. Second and two, Nick Chubb run for six yards to the South Carolina 33. Nick Chubb run for one yard to the South Carolina 32. Second and nine, South Carolina penalty, defensive pass interference, 13 yards to the South Carolina 19 for a first down. First and 25, South Carolina gets another penalty, unsportsmanlike conduct to the uh, South Carolina 19. That should be a UGA penalty. So we get we get penalties, and then we end up first and 10 at the 19, and we just basically ran the ball from there on out the rest of the game. So it was like Sonny Michelle for three yards, Sonny Michelle for three yards, Nick Chubb for three yards, Keith Marshall for three yards, and a touchdown. And to me, it was low-key the trolliest thing because we were up at that point. Just remember the context. At this point, the score is 45 to 20. And we come out and throw two 25-yard bombs and then run it up the middle until we score. And that is like just the most, A, it's the most chef's kiss thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And B, it is, it's one of those things where it's not a troll in the sense of like it's expense versus it's negative or positive attention, but it's one of those like real deep, like inside your mind, your opponent's head kind of trolls where it's like, it didn't cost us anything, uh, but it definitely was intentional because a lot of Mark Rick's games we had, in, we had, we would, we were just taking a knee basically with 13 minutes left. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we came out and had Grayson Lambert throw for 25 yards on them, like that's embarrassing for them, but A, or B, A, and B, I think it's one of my favorite trolls of the, of UGA, in UGA history. One from Ryan Clark. He asks, can you hit me with some comparison stats for Jake Fromm versus other SEC quarterbacks? It feels like he's playing well above average, but my robot heart needs to know the stats. All right, uh, Jake Fromm is currently second in completion percentage. He is um, seventh in yards. He is third in touchdowns at the, what, sixth in interceptions, like sixth lowest. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's probably, I would say, and all of this and all of the stats he has with one of the lowest uh, attempts in the game – attempts per game of anyone in the league so of quarterbacks who have played 10 games he's the lowest he has the lowest attempts per game in the league and actually there are several quarterbacks who have more attempts per game than him who have played only nine or eight games so long story short he is he is doing a lot with not as many opportunities as anybody else he also has the second highest passer rating in the league and there's uh like about a it's 207.68 for uh Tagovailoa and then 169 for Fromm, and then a 10-point jump to 159 for Jordan Tamu. So, I mean, I would say he's pretty solidly the second-best quarterback in the league. I think it's pretty good. Uh, another one from Jonathan Ashley just came in is, what do we need to most improve on heading into December? Can anyone beat a healthy Tua? No, and inside linebacker play. That's what I would say. Inside linebacker play, defensive line play, and I, I don't know, man. Healthy Tua, oof. Healthy Tua is real dangerous. He might be, he's just one of the most dangerous and most efficient and most explosive. Like, he has every stat on the book. He can do everything. I don't get yeah. it. He's very good. He's so very good. Moving on to the last segment of the show. Then we can get out of here. Uh, a short show turned into a long one. The <laughs> Dr. James yeah. Fairfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheer Wine, the wine that gives you diabetes. <sighs> good luck getting me out of this segment. TM, TM. Who is the most overrated Renaissance writer and why? It's Petrarch. Petrarch and Sonnet suck. 
carry on. What is the worst book you've ever read, and what made it so bad to you? Whew, okay. I really don't like... I don't. I hate nihilism, and there's a particular book that isn't nihilism. It's actually existentialism, uh, but I hate it anyway because I think it embodies all the worst things about nihilism in just another name, and that is Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. And let me tell you why I hate it. Part of the sort of under... I think part of the under, undergirding philosophy of uh, the metamorphosis and of all sort of like early modern existentialist was the idea that like, you know, the, the bourgeoisie, the sort of the working class and the, the middle class need to realize that, you know, you can, they're, you're living in misery and you don't know it. And you can throw off these shackles because the rules of the laws of men are sort of utterly arbitrary. And I agree with that second part. And even the first part, but I just don't, I don't think that message has aged very well in these times. And I just think that like, if you don't think that people live in misery, if you don't think that functionally like millions of people in the UGA are living in wage slavery, or in, in UGA, well, that's true, but millions of people in the US are living in wage slavery, you're either too old or too rich to understand what's actually going on. I don't think many people in the age of that we're currently in uh, need a reminder of how bad things are. And I certainly don't think that they need an like up jumped holier than thou Parisian academic to tell them that like life can sometimes be a nightmare. And I mean, ultimately I feel like the, the, the best metaphor I can give for you to, to you for the metamorphosis is that I feel about the metamorphosis, the way the family of the protagonist from the metamorphosis fells about him, which is that if the metamorphosis turned into a roach and then eventually died out of sadness, my life would be very much improved. With the emphasis on STEM classes, why do you think students should study advanced literature still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like facts only get you so far in life. And I don't just mean that in like sort of an artsy fartsy way. I mean that in like a very real like tactile practical way, which is that, you know, if you want to teach a kid advanced analytical skills and you want to find a teacher better at that than an English teacher, I don't know where you are. I don't know what what classroom you're in because there is no, from a practical standpoint, there is no better venue to teach a child how to analyze and how to think critically than the English classroom. And I would say from a human, from a human standpoint, what's the point of life if we can't tell each other stories, right? Narrative is the way that humanity decides who it is. It is our, it is, it is humanity's inner monologue. And anytime you educate a child and you deprive them of the ability to analyze narrative, what you're really doing is you're, you're depriving them of the ability to both read and contribute to the, the essence of what it is to be human. That you're, you're, you're depriving them the ability to contribute to the definition that the human race gives itself. You know, mythology is not about gods or men. And I always tell my kids when we teach, when we learn Greek mythology, they're like, did this really happen? And I always say, well, that's not the point. The point is myths are stories we tell ourselves about the way the world works. And I actually think in more general sense, narrative is the story that we tell ourselves about what happens in this world. And if you think that a kid should go through school and not get that, I don't know what kind of sad capitalist post-corporate world that you're living <laughs> in, but it makes me sad for you. Which sibling is your favorite, Nathan? I'm going to say Hannah because she's the only one that's going to live. No, here's why Here's why I'm going to say Hannah. Here's why I'm going to say Hannah. There's like a 20% chance that Hannah will listen to this before James shows it to Ben and Mallory. I was going to say, who's going to end up showing it to your other siblings? No, James, James is going to like clip this out and put it on my, my siblings' Facebooks and then like tag them. So that's fine. 
but I'm just going to say Hannah because I think she might actually listen to it sometimes. I, I don't ha- I don't have a favorite, but carry on. <laughs> uh, when do I use a comma? He actually he says he actually needs this one. Okay, non-exhaustive list. Use a comma when you're combining two complete thoughts or sentences into a single sentence using a, a coordinating conjunction or fanboy. For and for and nor but or yet so. You also use a comma to separate items in a list serially and especially before the and in the list because we use the f-ing Oxford comma on this f-ing podcast. You also use a comma when you're when you're yep when you're also. Anytime I write, I use the Oxford comma because not using the Oxford comma is for pedants in the Associated Press. And you can see how good like the mainstream journalism world is going right now. I thought maybe you had like a very specific uh, no, example. Just always, we just do it Always general. use the yeah. Oxford comma. Always use the Oxford comma. Don't even, I don't want to, and don't, none of you pedants get online and argue with me about this. <laughs> I actually have an English degree. I don't know crap about football, but this, you don't want to argue with me about. <laughs> All right. You also, this is a non-exhaustive list, but I'll give you a couple more. Use the Oxford comma with an introductory clause, which can be anything from an adjectival phrase to, I mean, a participial phrase, but it doesn't really matter. Introductory clauses are just um, incomplete sentences that come at the beginning of a sentence and introduce or somehow set up the context of the sentence. You also can use a comma sometimes when you're uh, using a dependent clause, but not always. And finally, use a comma in parathetical phrases and nouns of direct address. So if you're renaming a noun in your sentence or you're providing outside inter- information that clarifies the context of a sentence inside of the sentence, you set them both off with commas, commas on either sides. The last question is, what is your favorite quality about each other? Oh, my favorite, my favorite quality about Justin is that Justin is a... He is a relentlessly positive person, and he does that even though he's he's relentlessly positive, even in the face of not being a head in the clouds kind of person. And I really appreciate that about him. And it's something that, as someone who is frankly, oftentimes quite cynical, uh, it's something that I need and like and love in my life. That's a nice thing to say. That's how uh, I like to well, be perceived. <laughs> well, I'm glad. That- uh, that that's how you perceived it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that I. I'm glad that I hit the nail on the head there for you. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, my favorite quality about Nathan is that I really appreciate the way you can weave thoughts and ideas into words, and I think that's that's something that I struggle with at times, and I have trouble really you know, putting my thoughts and ideas into real physical, uh, like tangible pieces. And it's something that you do so effortlessly, and it's something that I admire in you. And I think that's really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's my favorite thing I about appreciate you. That. You're just very poetic that in, also, in all that, things, no matter how positive or negative you're being. <laughs> I also that's also something I want to be perceived for. Um <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us by searching at Chapel Bell Curve and finding us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com, um, for any random thoughts or, you know, just as a hub for all of our content. If you'd like to hear some extras or hear all the dirty words and all the stuff about politics that we cut out of every episode, you can feel free to go to patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve and check out our Patreon page. For just a little bit of money a month, you can get get in on the good good stuff and also probably another blooper reel and by a little we just mean like a dollar a dollar a month a a blooper reel before too long right yeah for sure like we gotta we gotta be another rant blooper reel coming out i think it's like an end of the season kind of thing yeah yeah if you enjoyed today's episode please leave us a rating on whatever surf uh whatever way that you get this podcast spotify google podcast or itunes or wherever i've heard that we've had some problems on uh google podcasts and we are working on that yeah um 
But please, 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 if you have not, leave us a review. We cannot tell you how much it helps you. And we hope that you have a great, great holiday. Uh, And if we don't talk to you before then, go dogs. Go dogs.